I'm talking to you about family. We've been on this for a while. In fact, the reason Pastor Reagan and I are doing this series is because we're responding to you. Several weeks ago, we asked all of you to fill out a little card and just tell us what, if, if you could ask God for one thing, what would it be? And uh, by far, the most requested uh, theme from those cards was for your family. And specifically, beyond that, er, so many of them family, various reasons, but for the salvation of family members. So I want to talk to you this morning about how to pray for your family. Let me ask you this. If you could, if you could learn how to pray more effectively, I mean by that, how to approach God in a way that would assure an answer to your prayer. How many of you would be interested in that? Would you be interested in your prayers being more effective? I pray that by the help of the Holy Spirit today that this message will help you with regard to that. So I'm going to talk to you about how to pray for your family. Now to grasp uh, how we need to pray, we need an understanding of some specific levels of prayer that Jesus taught us in his word. You can find all of this in the book of Luke. You can begin in chapter 11, go all the way through chapter 18, and you will find Jesus teaching on prayer three different times, three specific ways. And each one of them is important and they all build one upon the other. The one that we're most familiar with is not only taught to us in Luke's gospel, but Matthew probably has the rendition that we're most familiar with, in Matthew chapter 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was teaching. And that is prayer as petition. We're familiar with that, prayer as petition. Uh, what that simply means is that we present our needs when we petition God. We present to him our needs. And we approach God in this kind of prayer as our Father. In fact, let me read Matthew chapter 6, 9 to 13, and I'm sure every one of you probably can quote this. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, notice how he begins, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus said, when, and this, this is the first level of prayer. He said, when you pray. In fact, in, you, in Luke's gospel, he says, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We approach him as Father. If you'll notice as I read through that prayer, in that prayer we're asking for our needs to be met. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation. All of these are petitions to God about our needs and we approach him as Father. In fact, <clears throat> if you don't have a right concept of God as your father, you're missing something vitally important to your spiritual life. 
In fact, this is, this is more than just important. This is necessary that we get a grasp of God as our Father. It's important that we see him that way. Now, I realize for some people who have had a bad experience, maybe you had a bad dad, you had a dad who neglected you, or uh, a, a worse than that, a dad who abused you, and it may be difficult for you to see God as Father, but let me tell you something about God as your Heavenly Father. Please do not equate any of the shortcomings of your earthly father with your heavenly father because your heavenly father has none of those. I can promise you that God, your heavenly father, loves you unconditionally and more than you can possibly comprehend or imagine. In fact, Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 17. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I want you to notice this. He said, this, this is what happened when you got saved. When the Spirit of God came and convicted you of your sins, drew you to Jesus, and you repented of those sins, confessed him as Lord, and he came into your heart, the Spirit of God began right then working in you, and if you will allow him to have his perfect will and way, to help you understand, comprehend, and relate to God as your Father. In fact, he said you can call him Abba Father. Um, that Abba is a term of endearment. I love you, Father. In, in fact, it carries the connotation of a little child who crawls up in his father's lap and puts his or her arms around her father's neck and says, Papa, I love you. That term of endearment. Abba refers to the love and, and that positive relationship of God toward you. Father is a term that represents his authority. And how many of you understand that God is both? God is love. God is also authority. In fact, we, we are taught to respect God and respect that Father. That's a reverential respect towards God. But when the Scripture talks about fearing God, he's not talking about being afraid of God. He's talking about a reverential respect. I loved my dad, but I also respected the fact that my dad was my authority as long as I was under his roof and living in his house. I, I respected that. But, but it didn't make me afraid of him. I wasn't afraid to go home. I wasn't afraid to, to relate to him. And, and so he said he sent his spirit. Let's read on verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. How many of you are thankful that you're a child of God this morning? Amen. And, and then look at this. He said, and if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified together. 
He said, whatever you have to go through in this life as a part of the family of God, just remember, it's all going to be worth it because now that God is your father, you're going to inherit from your father right along with your elder brother, Jesus Christ. Everything that he inherits, we inherit with him. Glory to God. That's why the Bible talks about in the book of Revelations, us ruling and reigning with Jesus on this earth. Did you know? We're going to inherit. I, we, oh, it's great to be a part of the family of God, isn't it? Amen. Some people, when their parents pass away, they inherit a lot. Some folks, when their parents pass away, they inherit a little. Some folks, when their parents pass away, they inherit nothing. <laughs> Maybe even have some bills left to pay. But listen, don't be upset, tormented, or disappointed by your inheritance here on this earth. Just, just don't, even, don't let that worry you one minute. When you begin to realize what you have inherited as a child of God, my goodness alive, folks, nothing compare with it. All the stuff in this earth is going to pass away pretty soon anyway. But what we inherit with the Lord, we're going to enjoy forever and ever 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 and right on and on beyond that. Amen. Are you glad for him? Give him praise. Praise the Lord. He'll give you another scripture here, Galatians 4, 4 to 7. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ. Praise God. Paul's trying to, in both of these epistles, he's trying to elevate their understanding so that they can better relate to God as their father. And so when you come to God, let me tell you something. When you come to God and approach him as your father, you just know this. You're approaching one who loves you and who wants to bless you, desires to help you, I used to think <laughs> growing up, I'd hear people just pressing in in prayer, and I, I think, good time of living. But prayer, we must have to really pray hard to overcome the reluctance of God. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Prayer is not overcoming the reluctance of God. There is no reluctance in God. Jesus said, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In other words, God wants to give you everything. Glory to God. God wants to bless you. So, so prayer is not that. If, if you're having problem and you're hindered in prayer, it must be something else. And we'll touch on those before we leave here this morning. Second kind of prayer that Jesus taught, you'll find also in Luke chapter 11, is the prayer of intercession. Now, in the prayer of intercession, that's when we pray for others. And when we approach God to pray for others, we don't approach God as our father. We approach God as our friend. And uh, let me read the scripture, 5 to 9 in chapter 11. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. 
And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Jesus again is talking about prayer. But he's talking about praying for others now. And, and there is a, there's a place as you grow in the Lord. This doesn't happen overnight. That's why Jesus started out. The first kind of prayer he taught when his disciples asked him, please teach us to pray. He taught them to approach God as Father. But as he continues on in Luke chapter 11, he tells them another level that comes through spiritual growth. You don't achieve this overnight, but you grow into this. Um, for example, in the Old Testament, Abraham followed God and got so close to God and grew in his relationship with God to the point that God referred to Abraham as his friend. He became a friend of God. We, we, can, we can get to that place with God. In fact, when we go to God in behalf of others, intercessory prayer, in this particular parable, Jesus said he has a friend over here that has come to see him and he has a need. He came at midnight and, and he, this guy didn't have anything to feed him with and he's hungry. So you got a friend here in need, but he has a friend over here who has everything that he needs. He's got the provision. And so he stands in the gap between these two. Friend, lend me three loaves. This guy's hungry. I want to feed him. I want to feed him good. So lend me three loaves. Now, he goes on with the story and, and, and says uh, uh, he, there's some reluctance there at the beginning, but he continues, and the reason he does is because he's a friend. You, you wouldn't do that to a stranger. You wouldn't just keep on and on knocking on the door trying to get um, to borrow something from somebody that you don't know. But this is a friend. So when you intercede, you're, you're standing as one friend intervening for another, a need, a provision. And how many of you know that God has everything that we need? So the provision is here in God, and we come to him as a friend. Now, let me say, let me say again, this, you, you reach that in God through spiritual growth. For example, in the natural. When I was a child, and Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, but when I became a man, in other words, I matured in the Lord. I reached another level. When I was a child, I understood that authority of my father. Now, my dad never ceased to be my dad or my father. Uh, I, had, I respected him as my dad or as my father when he was in his 80s. Um, but my relationship with him changed along the way. When I was little, I, I, I approached him as father. But after I grew and became a man, I began to relate to him. Not, I respected him as my father, but I related to him as my friend. He and I became close friends. 
And, and, and we would talk about things from that perspective. I would ask his advice. It would be different than what I would ask him as a child. When I was a child, I was asking for his permission. Now I'm asking for his advice. I'm, I'm appealing to him for what, you know, from, from a different perspective altogether. And God desires for us to grow in him and mature in him to the point where we're not just asking about our own needs, but to the point where we can feel comfortable to go to God and ask in behalf of others. How many of you are glad that you got brothers and sisters in the Lord that pray for you? Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that a blessing? Don't you feel good when you, when, when you see somebody at church or you run into them somewhere in town or whatever, and, and during the course of your conversation, they say something like, you know, I've been praying for you. Isn't that a blessing? Wow, what a blessing. I know it's one of our ushers this morning. I, I looked back there and saw Brother Buddy and, and, uh, and Brother Buddy. We all been praying for him over the past few weeks. He, you know, he had a little physical problem, and we, we've been praying. That's what we do in the family of God. We approach God as our friend and say, Lord, remember our friend Buddy over here. He, has, he needs you today, and we're praying for him. We approach God as friends as we intercede, and, uh, and he encourages us to, to keep on doing that. And, uh, but, but then third and finally, and this, this is where I want to camp for a little bit. If you miss everything else I say this morning, I want you to get this third point because this is the kind of prayer that you need to learn how to pray in relation to your family. And that's the prayer of intervention. And some of you have some situations in your family today where you need somebody to intervene. And in fact, it's probably you who needs to intervene for them. And you can do that. You can do that. In the prayer of intervention, we pray for a, a, a favorable verdict. In, in the prayer of intervention, we approach God not as a father, not as a friend. We approach God as a judge. You know, there's a judicial system that runs this whole universe. Are you aware of that? When you read in the Bible about the throne of God, that, that's, that's a position of authority and rulership. That's also his position in the courtroom. We're all going to stand before him as judge. The Bible says it's appointed a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Every one of us here this morning are going to stand before God physically as a judge, and he is going to give us our reward based upon what we have done in this life to serve him. By the way, God has given us this life to prepare for the next one. Amen? I hope you're taking advantage of that. Because if you're not, you're really missing out. That's the purpose of this life, to get us ready for the next life and to bring as many people with us to heaven as we can. Amen? God wants us to do that. Let me, let me take you to Luke 18 because, again, Jesus is still talking about prayer. In, in this chapter, he says, I'm going to read the first eight verses. Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart saying see this is talking about prayer do you get that say this is about prayer I don't want you to misunderstand this parable it's about prayer he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart 
In other words, Jesus is saying, I know some of you have been praying the Lord's Prayer, and some of you have been approaching God as friend, but there's still some prayers that you don't have answered. And, and there's, there's, there's some things that, some areas of your prayer where you're struggling. And he said, I don't want you to lose heart. So I'm going to give you the key to bursting through, to get a spiritual breakthrough in those areas of prayer where you don't yet have an answer. Anybody in that place in your life this morning? Any areas of your life where you'd just like to burst through and get a breakthrough? Well, here's what he said. There wasn't a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me for my adversary, from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest her coming or continually coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, and shall not God? avenge his own elect to cry out to him day and night though he bears long with them i tell you he will avenge them how speedily okay i want you to get the picture of this parable jesus said there's a woman a widow her husband's dead she's in need and she goes to the judge because she has an adversary say adversary that's a very important word to remember here. She has an adversary, and she appeals to the judge. She said, I've got an adversary that's got a case in court against me, and that case in court is not just, and I want you to change and give me a verdict of victory over this adversary. She's seeking for a favorable verdict. Now, um, she gets it, although Jesus said, and, and remember, we're comparing spiritual things with natural things here. Jesus said, this guy, this judge that she's going before, he, he, was, he was something else. You're talking about a self-centered kind of guy. Um, by the way, <laughs> judges typically kind of have a God complex. Have you ever noticed that in the courtroom? Um, Boy, I found that out years ago. I was testifying in behalf of somebody. Cell phones had just come out, and I had a cell phone, and we were told to turn off our cell phones. I thought I had mine turned off, and I was on the stand testifying, <laughs> and my phone rang. I near about tore my pants getting a hold of that phone, <laughs> shutting that thing off, boy apologizing at the same time your honor i am so sorry honest i thought i had my phone off i apologize <clears throat> he was not happy in fact i thought i was going to the moose gal uh, he was upset with me big time should be hoose gal shouldn't it some of you never heard that phrase have you <laughs> I apologize to all you millenniums. Every once in a while, I just kind of get in my groove and forget that y'all are here. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's the jail, by the way. Uh, 
<laughs> but, but judge, and this judge was like that. Jesus said this judge didn't fear God. And he didn't even consider man. The only person he considered was himself. But this lady would not let up. She came before the court and petitioned the court with her request. She brought a legal document with evidence to the court and said, this is the reason I'm appealing to the court for a favorable verdict. And she came back and again and again and again. And finally, that judge said, this woman's getting on my nerves. And it looks to me like the only way I'm going to keep her, because she has a legal right to come, is to, to give her what she had. Now, Jesus said, think about this for a moment. If this widow in the system of this world could get a favorable verdict from an unjust judge, how much more can you and I, as children of God, as beloved of the Heavenly Father, as heirs and joint heirs with Jesus, when Satan presents a case against us in the court of heaven, how much more can we come before the judge and get a favorable verdict from the judge? Jesus said, he'll answer you speedily. Amen. Remember Jesus said in another place, he said, you being evil, you, you folks know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your heavenly father give good things to those who love him? Now, I want to tell you how to get a favorable verdict in the courtroom of heaven. Are you ready for this? Everybody awake? I want you to get this. This is important in praying for your family. I want to tell you how to operate in the courts of heaven. Number one, you've got to recognize the fact that you have an adversary. If you don't realize that, you'll never even go to the court of heaven to get a good verdict. But I want to tell you this morning, I'm not trying to preach gloom, despair, and misery. I'm just telling you the facts of life here. You have an adversary. There is an adversary that is against you. There is an adversary that knows that the only way he can hurt the heart of God is to hurt his children. So he's doing everything in his power to block you and hinder you from fulfilling God's purpose and destiny in your life. Does everybody understand that? Can, do you understand it? If, if you do, raise your hand because I, I don't want to go on if you don't get that because the rest of it won't make any sense if you don't understand that. Um, let, let me take you to Job chapter 1. You remember this? Now there was a day, verse 6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, let me stop here because I think that's up there. I put that in parentheses, I, I thought, the, the, the word adversary. That's what the word Satan here literally means. It means adversary. Jesus, God said to the adversary, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. In other words, Satan travels the earth looking for a legal reason to come against you in the courtroom of heaven. He's looking for a legal right to bring a case against you. That word Satan is adversary. That word adversary uh, it comes from a Greek word antidikos, which literally means one who brings a lawsuit against you. 
That's your adversary. Satan is looking for a way to present a lawsuit against you to stop God's blessings from coming your way and to hinder your prayers from being answered. You say, well, preacher, that's Old Testament. Well, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. You remember this? The apostle Peter said, but be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, say adversary. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Notice whom he may devour. Let me tell you something. Satan cannot devour you at will. If he could, none of us would be here this morning. He would have already wiped every one of us off the map. He cannot destroy you at will. He can only do what he does to you through a legal channel in the courts of heaven. That's why he was there in Job's case. In fact, Satan accused Job before God. And, and, and God said, let me tell you something about Job. There's none like Job in the whole earth. And Satan, this will tell you how stupid the devil is. And if, if that term stupid offends you, I apologize. I know we had somebody in the first service, and I know she's taught her kids all of her life that stupid is a curse word, and so you don't use that. And so I apologize if it's a bad word, but it's about the worst one I can think of that I can say here that literally tells you just how dumb the devil is. Uh, if, if, think of the audacity of this. Satan says to God, I know something about Job you don't know. Can, can, you, can you imagine telling God that you know something that he doesn't know? He said, he said, Job, he doesn't serve you for the right reason. He serves you with the wrong motive. He said the only reason he serves you is because you bless him. You made him the richest man in the world. Good time of living. He's got thousands of herds of animals of every description. He's got, he's got a marvelous house, and he's got, he's got everything at his disposal. He's the richest man in the country. You take that hedge down, let me at him, and you'll find out Job will curse you to your face. God said, no, he won't. And Job went through that trial. Now, when you read the book of Job, you think that was his whole life. No, it wasn't. That trial lasted about 10 months, but it was, it was quite a trial. In fact, none of us would want to go through anything like Job went through. Job lost everything he had. God allowed Satan to test him, and he took everything he had away from him. He lost his houses. He lost his land. He lost his herds and flocks. He lost, he had 10 children, and all 10 kids were killed. Now, you talk about, you talk about a tough trial to go through. Can you imagine? Talk about grief to lose all of your children. He lost 10 kids in horrible accidents. They just in one day. And, and then he lost his health. He wound up with nothing, sitting on an ash heap. He had balls from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, and he was scraping them with a piece of pottery, scraping the corruption off of the sores that covered his body. And his wife 
said to him exactly what Satan was trying to get him to do. He said, why don't you just curse God and die? At least you get out of your misery. Job said, no, sir. I don't understand this, but I know that God's a good God. I know when this trial's over, I'm going to come forth as gold. I know that if the skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh, I'm going to see God, whom I shall see for myself, and that not another, though my reins be consumed within me. He said, this trial's not going to last forever. And he, he did not curse God as Satan said he would. Satan's a liar. Folks, <laughs> if you're serving God, you're on the right side. Amen. If you're serving the devil, Lord, help you. Because you're going to need it. But he don't care a thing about you. If he can destroy you, he will. The only way he can hurt the heart of the Father is to do something to you because God loves you as his children. So we got an adversary. But let me, let me tell you, one of, my, one of my favorite verses in the book of Revelation is this one right here. Look at Revelation 12, 10, and 11. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives even to death. Glory to God. John said, I saw him when he was finally evicted. He, he no longer can get to the courtroom of heaven. Glory to God. That day's coming, folks. Right now you have an adversary, but after a while that adversary is going to be cast out and he will not be allowed to accuse you before God any longer. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That testimony there is a legal term. In other words, what they testified in the courtroom of heaven gave them a verdict in their favor and they overcame the devil and eventually he's going to be cast into hell forever. Glory to God. We win. We win. We win. So what do we do? How do, how do we, first thing, as I said, we got to know that we got an adversary. The second thing, we appeal to God as our righteous judge in the courts of heaven. We appeal to God as our judge in the courts of heaven. Now, when you do this, you got to understand something here. When you go into the courtroom of heaven to appeal to God, the judge of all the earth, for a verdict in your behalf, the first thing you need to do is make sure that you've repented of all sin. Now, I know this is a subject that's not preached very much anymore, but it needs to be preached a whole lot more, and that's repentance. When Jesus came and started his ministry, the Bible said that he began by preaching repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is so vitally important. You say, well, preacher, what should we repent of? Number one, any hidden sin. If you've got hidden sin in your heart, that will, that, that's an obstruction that Satan will use as a legal channel against you. Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It's not because he doesn't want to. It's because you're allowing sin to block that channel 
Folks, it's so vitally important that we take care of sin. Take care of it. Take care of it. I believe in the grace message with all of my heart. I think God is a God of grace, and I thank God for it. But don't you ever allow anybody to make you think that God's grace covers up known, repeated, hidden sin. That's not a grace is not a cover-up. Grace actually gives you the strength to deal with your sin. Amen. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to be willing to come openly before God. If you've got a sin that's been tormenting you for life, you, you just, uh, you're making excuses for it. Oh, that's just the way I am. Oh, you just don't understand. That's the way folks are in my family. Oh, there's always been uh, people in my family, they have a temper. And, they, yeah, and uh, you, you just have to understand there's always been a lust problem. Addictions just kind of seem to run in our family. <clears throat> well, if it's in you, it's sin. And you got to deal with it. If it's in your family, it's sin. You got to deal with it. If you're expecting a good verdict before the judge of heaven in your behalf, get rid of the sin. Come clean with it. Repent of it. Forsake it. Cast it aside. Get it under the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. You're, you're not hurting anybody but yourself when you hide sin. Get it out. Bring it to the light. Expose it. Glory to God. Do whatever you have to do, but get rid of it. Get rid of it. It's time to repent. Repent. Let me tell you one sin that you might have deceived yourself into not thinking was a sin at all, and that's the sin of word curses. How are you going to ask God to bless your children if you have cursed your children with your mouth and you haven't taken care of that? Satan is standing in the courtroom of, of heaven saying, you can't bless their kids. Did you hear what they said about them? They called them dumb. They told them they were no good. They told them they'd fail. They told them they weren't as smart as their brother. They told them they couldn't do this. They told them they couldn't do that. They told them they could. They, they told them they were just like their daddy. They told them they were just like their mama. They told them. They, 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 watch this. If you've done that to your children, repent. Get it under the blood of Jesus. Amen. Get it under the blood. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. You can't speak down to your kids and then later want God to bless your kids. The two don't go together. So I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to get you to realize what Satan, how he's deceived you and get you to get, get that under the blood. If it'll make you feel any better, I've had to repent over that stuff. I tell you right now, <laughs> we had, God gave us two sons. And bless their hearts, God gave us each one that would push our buttons. One of my kids, when they were little, could drive me right up the wall, and the other one could do the same thing with Faye. <laughs> And I mean, I, I actually caught myself when I'm, I'm, I'm just confessing here. I'm ashamed of this, but I want to I help you understand the way you deal with these, this stuff. I, I had 
one of, one of my boys smarted off to me one day. He was a young teenager, and he'd been pushing my button and pushing my button, pushing my button. He had me, it takes a lot to make me mad. I'm a, I'm a fairly patient person. But here's a problem that I have. When I finally do get angry, I don't have any sense. I'm crazy as a Bessie bud. It's another millennial past statement, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, hey, millennials, that just means you, you're just really crazy. I mean, you just, you just got no sense at all. I reached for, because it was beside me, I caught myself. I reached for a baseball bat to hit my kid with. And I caught myself before I swung. And I am thankful to God I did. I could have killed him. And I walked away realizing, hey, there's something wrong here. And it ain't my kid. This is me. And I had to go find me a place and repent and ask God to forgive me. I said, Lord, I don't know where that anger came from. Must have picked it up from my wife's side of the family somehow or another. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't know I, don't know that, I don't know how that demon got off on me, but. And then I had to go to step two. I, I actually got in the car and left the house. I was, I was that angry. I just drove away and stayed gone for a while till I could pray through. And then I came back to the house and went back in the house. And I had to humble myself as dad and ask my son to forgive me and admit to him that I was wrong. Listen, you, you, can, you can correct these things. Don't, don't let it hang out there. Don't let it destroy you. Don't let it, just don't do that. And, and, and I learned how to reverse that by going through a process of daily blessing my children. Just bless them and bless them and bless them in Jesus' name. Just load them down with blessings. And <laughs> it'll help take care of those times when you, when you feel like, uh, aren't you glad God gives us grandchildren? That's the reward for not killing our kids. <laughs> But I'm telling you folks, in the courtroom of heaven, this stuff's important. So repent of it. Repent of those, repent of those word curses. <clears throat> repent of generational curses. In, in my family, there's a lot of alcoholism, a lot of it. My dad was an alcoholic until he was 40 years old. And I, I've, I've, had to re, I've had to say, God, cleanse, cleanse this family line. I don't want that stuff passing on to me. The Bible said curses pass to the third and fourth generation. Now, the blessings of God go to a thousand generations. But, but if you know something in your family line, you, you know there's a propensity in your own life as to certain areas. It could be because Satan has, has had a stronghold in your family, and he's been going from generation to generation and passing that on through your DNA. Take it to the cross and get it under the blood of Jesus. Amen? He can take care of that. 
Uh, we, we, we broke that curse off our family. Praise God. That, that addiction stuff's got no place in our family. We've, we've taken that to the cross. We've come against that. That's why we have encounters. Everybody ought to go through an encounter. We deal with this kind of stuff in encounters. I don't have time to deal with it all today like we can with a full weekend. But I'm telling you, get that stuff out of the way. You say, well, preacher, I have nothing in my family. You, 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 might ought to, you might ought to go to prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal something to you if it's there and you don't know about it. I don't have time to deal with this either, but I want to tell you something. If there, if there is in your family line anybody that's been a part of a Masonic order, there are curses in your family. You can mark it down. There are curses in your family because that's part of that Masonic order. They pronounce curses on their, their generations to follow. Cleanse your family line of that stuff. Get it under the blood. Rebuke it. Resist it. Command it that it will not come any further. It will not have a place in my life. I will not come under, the, under that surge of that. Some of you may be suffering today from curses that have been pronounced. Get it to the judge of heaven. Glory to God. And here's, listen this. Here's the wonderful thing about it. When you go to the court of heaven, we have a friend of the court whose name is Jesus. Who, hallelujah. When he sees us come into the court of heaven, Jesus walks right up beside us as our advocate. That big old adversary that thinks he's so smart and so big, he cows when he sees our advocate come standing up beside us. And I want to tell you that my advocate, Jesus, is a lot bigger than my adversary, Satan. Glory to God. Hallelujah! Glory to God. And then, and then you remind God of his promises. Oh, glory to God. You just get in this word and just find those promises of God. Find those promises of God. Find those promises of God. I've shared this so many times. When, when my youngest son was 14 and, and, and had been pronounced with an incurable terminal liver disease and was not expected to live very long because of an in, incurable terminal liver disease, my wife in her prayer closet got a hold of the verse in Isaiah that says, All of my children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of my children. And she took that into the courtroom of God and said, Father, this is your promise to my children. You didn't give me these children for us. You gave me these children for you. And we've dedicated them to you. And my child shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Glory to God. After six months more of trials and going right back through the same test that he had before, every doctor from here to New York City declared that he is well and does not have the disease. Praise God. I'm trying to help you get into the courtroom of God. And once you claim his promises, and our Father loves to hear us repeat to him his promises. In fact, he invites us to come to him. He said, you know, remind me of my word. He invites us to do that. And then when we do that and we get that, we get that favorable verdict, then we start declaring Glory to God. We start declaring the Word of God over our children, over our family. 
there are several things that will bring you into favor with the court. <clears throat> are you aware that in the court system there are certain people that have more favor than others? Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I heard an attorney one time say that he'd rather have enough money and the right attorneys and be guilty than he would to have no money and, and a poor attorney and be innocent. In other words, he's saying there's certain attorneys, they, they, they just got more favor in the court than others. There are things that will give you favor with the court. There are things that you can present. Your attorney will present things that will give you favor with the court. Uh, and for example, so sometimes when they're, they're fixing to post bail or whatever, they'll, 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 they'll tell the court that this person has done this for our community, and they, it finds favor. Let me tell you some things that will give you favor with the court of heaven. You ready for this? First of all, you'd remind the court that you're a child of God. <laughs> the judge is also my heavenly father. Praise God. Boy, that'll put you in good standing. My attorney here, my advocate's my, my elder brother, and he's the son of the, the judge of all the earth. That'll put you in good favor. Tell you something else that'll put you in good favor in the court. If you're a tither, did you know that? If you're a tither, if you give your first 10% to God, that will give you favor in heaven's court. There are blessings that are pronounced upon the tither and also upon the giver. If you're generous in giving to the work of the Lord, read through the New Testament. Several times it said, this, this brother's built a synagogue uh, in, in our behalf. He's a good man. Uh, Cornelius, for example, the angel of the Lord said to him, Cornelius said, your, your, your giving to the Lord, your generosity, your fasting and your praying, all of that's come before the judge of all the earth. You found favor in heaven. Now, here's the answer to your prayers. Go send to Joppa and get Simon Peter. Come down here. He'll tell you what you ought to do. There is favor in the courtroom of heaven when you, when you bless the Lord and, and, and when you do these things. And then you take authority. Once you get that favorable verdict, you take authority and stand on it for the, for the word, in the Word of God. I'll give you an example. When our kids were teenagers, they went through a period of time where they surrounded themselves with some friends that were unhealthy relationships for them. They were friends that were dragging them down. They were friends that were, were pulling on them away from God. And we got real concerned about it. And uh, let me tell you, um, <laughs> as a parent, just telling your kid that you don't like their friends doesn't necessarily work in your favor. I'm not telling you not to do that. Some kids may respond to that. Others will rebel against it. And so we let our kids know, I, I, I don't approve of who you're hanging out with. You, you're not going to, we, we were tightening the ropes and pulling in the reins and everything else. And nothing was working. All it was doing is making them rebellious. And so we went to the courtroom of heaven with our kids. And we said, Father, our kids have got influences in their lives that are not healthy and not good. And we want those things broken off of them. And we prayed the prayer that Hosea prayed over his wife. You remember that in the book of Hosea? He prayed a hedge of thorns around his wife. He had a wife that backslid and was committing adultery with some of the wealthy men in the city. And she was just out there hung up in immorality. And he prayed a hedge of thorns around her. And what that did in the spirit realm all of those evil influences 
all of a sudden got to where every time they got close to her, they, they didn't understand what it was, but they were uncomfortable <laughs> running into that hedge of thorns. That's what was happening. And after a while, they just all, they just lost interest in her. And later on, Hosea was able to bring her back home and restore her. And we prayed that over our kids. Lord, we want, we want everybody that's not a good influence on our kids, we want them to be so miserable and uncomfortable in the presence of our kids. They, won't, they may not even understand why. Remember Saul of Tarsus who became Paul the Apostle in the New Testament? Jesus said to him, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against pricks, isn't it? He'd been running into that hedge. He'd been running into those thorns. He said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. He revealed himself to him. And, and once we pray that now, when you, when you pray for God to remove evil influences from your kids, don't leave them out there with nobody. We prayed, oh God, send them a good friend. Send them a good friend. Send good friends. Put some good friends in their lives that will be a blessing to them, that will understand the, their relationship with the Lord. And people, Our kids have friends today that that they connected with way back there in their teenage years that became good influences in their lives. You have authority once you get a verdict in the courtroom of heaven to, to, to save your children and your family. God does not want your family to be lost. He wants your family to be saved. Will you stand with me, please? Here's what I want you to do. They're coming in a moment to sing, but let's just bow our heads for a minute. I, I just, boy, I sense the presence of the Holy Spirit here today. Some of you have been agonizing over your kids. Some of you have been heartbroken by the actions and activities of your children. And the devil's trying to destroy you and destroy your life and destroy your family and destroy your family line. But I want to tell you, he's a liar. You've got an advocate with the Father. And you have a legal right this morning. If you've got everything under the blood, you've got a legal right to go before heaven and present your case to God and call your family in. You've got a legal right. You got a legal right. I heard a man say the other day, he said, for two years, I prayed and fasted, did everything I knew to do for a son that was just about hopeless. But he said, when I found out that as a child of God, I could go before God as my judge and present my case, and stand on the Word of God. I got a good verdict from heaven. And what I was unable to do in two years, I did in 15 minutes in the courtroom of heaven. God gave me a favorable verdict. And I heard the Spirit of God say, I've got him. And in two weeks, his son was totally restored. God wants to save your family. God wants to save your family. If you'd like to pray for your family today, I want you to just move forward just as far as you can. Everybody won't be able to get here, but get as far as you can. If you're unsaved, come give your heart to Jesus. If you have other needs in your life, come on. But 
And I want you to present your case to the courtroom of heaven this morning. Tell God what you need, what you want, your family. Praise God. Declare it in Jesus' name. Satan, you're not going to have my children. You're not going to have my family.